Nothing says do me in the phaser control room like a plate of cheese because it's V'ger, please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. And I couldn't help but notice that nothing is threatening the lives of the crew or the ship this week, so don't mind if I go ahead and make a big fucking mess all my own. I'm your co-host, Peter. Are you from Florida, Peter? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would like to be. It's very shitty and cold outside, and yes, imagine not the same. Sorry, eleven fifty ninety. Yeah, that's yeah. that's exactly what it is over here right now. Yeah. Well, you know, well, let's warm up next to the a, a flame of a very confusing episode of Star Trek. What did what did we watch this week? We're getting into season two, episode twenty two, Cogenitor. First aired the thirtieth of April two thousand three. Written by Rick Berman, Bram Braga. Directed by Lavar Burton. And if there isn't a situation, uh, a heap and helping of what am I going to do with this episode uh, getting dumped in LeVar's lap? Then I don't know what is. Yeah, this is confusing. This one is totally all over the place and uh, hard to pin down, I guess. Like in terms of quality, I'm not quite sure what I think of it, which is not something I commonly walk away from episodes of these Bourbon era Trek series, you know, I typically have a take. I, I'm not sure. I'm like shrug. I'm not. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. How interesting that just last episode I was singing the praises of Enterprise and Berman era uh, for taking, you know, these issues of societal commentary and handling them in a, a digestible format. In the breach, you know, it was uh, old, deep-seated racism, right? Right. And then you've got this. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> this, I think it's very clear that the story they were telling here, that it was on nobody's radar at all back in 2003, uh, what light this episode was going to be viewed in, in 2023. And how I could guess, it have been? How could, yeah, like how could they have possibly have conceived of, the way the world would be viewing sexual politics uh, in, in 2023. Let's, let's get out the way. There's a big old joke here. Big old, big old turd in the punch bowl. And um, if you want to hear me at the very least talk about such turds and such punch bowls, if you like politics and you, and you want to hear takes, it's called replacement level morality. It's out every Thursday, just like Vidra, please subscribe, listen. I'd love to have you. Uh, we're not doing that here. So what we're going to do is we're going to review this episode in the context that the episode provides. I hope that doesn't disappoint too many people, but such is the Vidra, please truce. It's like Christmas and world war one. We're all out of the trenches. We're going to play some fucking soccer before we go to shoot each other again. Uh, this was, this is a rough one to watch, man. A little unfocused. It doesn't it, it doesn't find what the fuck it's trying to do until way too late, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, okay, we're gonna make this story about Trip trying to bring some freedom <laughs> to someone, some American style freedom, and then it bites him in the ass. Like took more than half of the runtime before that started happening. Let's start talking about the episode, and I, I think this stuff will work itself in. Enterprise is on a mission to go and observe a supernova hypergiant. Or Correct. 
Yeah, so it's a hybrid giant is something that will go supernova in a stellar sense very soon, like a century. This is the closest that a Starfleet vessel has ever been to one of these things. Everybody's excited, despite the fact they just watched like an entire star erupt and like volcanic eruptions back in uh, Horizon. Horizon, right? This is a lot of stellar cartography action for Enterprise lately. As they get in close, they see that they are not alone observing the phenomenon. In fact, there is an alien vessel way deeper in there, uh, way deeper than anybody would think possible. And lo and behold, they hail the aliens and the aliens are pretty chill dudes who are not shooting at them, dragging them off to kangaroo courts, yeah. uh, brain raping them or anything else that 98% of every other encounter in Star Trek has uh, provided in this series up to date. So very rare event here where it's just some people that are excited to meet other new people to the point that they are willing to just share technology like crazy. They're chill. They asked to come over for dinner as a way to pay for a, being science bros. I mean, this is essentially exactly the thing they're looking for out here is pleasant space science doers that would like to sit down and have steak and talk about space science with each other. And the steak is like the steak that they're making in the mess hall, not like surprise steak is really your brain. The only goofy part to any of this is that they don't even make like the charade of like, Oh, we got to put the first few sentences through the universal translator. Like for being a new alien race, that not only a Starfleet never encountered it, neither has uh, the Vulcans. These guys are completely brand new to the board, and they are the who? Antarans or something? They are the Vissians, and I love the way the Vissians are structured in terms of their place. They seem to be technologically advanced, uh, certainly more advanced than the Federation. Uh, they have higher level of intricacy, in their technology, that's that's what they try to portray, particularly with the kind of their Baroque instrumentation and their lack of contact with the rest of the galaxy just has to do with, oh, we're just very obsessive about studying things close to home. So we just don't go very far. But we 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 mastered warp drive a thousand years ago. We just don't leave our neighborhood because we're still looking at each individual blade of grass. I was like, oh, you know what? That I buy all of that. That structure makes a lot of sense, you know? So they've had all this time to sort of crystallize very uh, refined versions of early spacefaring technology. I want to say this is kind of similar to something else Enterprise has encountered where it's just, we don't go out far. We're, we're really into what we're doing and we're glad that you're here, but, um, you know, there's plenty to keep us busy at home. Right off the jump, like I said, there's there's technology sharing. I think it was something about uh, being able to examine the uh, degradation of nucleosynthesis or something like, oh, we, we don't know how to do that. And like, oh, well, here, um, you know, it's just uh, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, select, start. There's, <laughs> there you go. Help, help yourself. Lives, you're good to go. You've got this. You got <laughs> it licked now. Yeah, they're just like you want some you want some sweet BOEs. Here's some 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 purple. Let's hook mm -hmm. you up. You know, let's get you ready to go. So they hook up. Uh, their ship comes over. Another one of these situations where the docking hatch is on the top of the other vessel. So 
Enterprise uh, docks at a 90 degree angle. And we cut over to a nice little dinner party. But it's just the captains. It's Archer. It's uh, what's this dude's name? Uh, Drenick. No, Joe. That's Captain Tomalock. <laughs> it's Tomalock? That's Tomalock. This whole fucking crew is the oh, USS yeah. that guy. I mean, I definitely recognize the chief engineer um, from from space from the Space Texans episode. Mm-hmm. But Did you recognize? Tom- oh, wow. That's Tomalock. They they had him play the most shifty, evil, duplicitous motherfucker in Trek history to the point where like his next character had to be basically Mr. Rogers. It had to be a space care bear. <laughs> like just the nicest guy. But yeah, like you got Tom Locke and you already jumped the gun. The engineer is. Uh, yeah, he was the, the, the falsely uh, convicted uh, super nice guy. The space Texans were falsely persecuting. Only it turned out that, yeah, he literally was space Hitler. Yeah, he was the one Neelix was befriending that was trying to convince him he just needed to have a letter sent to his dear mother or something. Yeah, but it turns they... out he was just guilty. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the guy that I'm sorry, the lady that Reed fucks, right? The very tall, blonde, imperious weapons officer. That's uh, Erica Hansen's mom. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So that seven. that was that Mrs. was salute. seven of nine. Yeah, it was that was that was salute your shorts wife. Uh, Miss Ugg, yes. Yes, Mrs. Ugg. Okay, so that's correct name, Mrs. Ugg. Mm-hmm. So there it is. Uh, Commander Tomalock and Archer. Very weird that we don't have Trip. We don't have uh, Paul. You know, normally these little dinner parties they throw for dignitaries, there's subordinates all over the place. But this is just Archer and Tomalock, which leads me to believe that there were very separate uh, filming schedules for this and that different crew on different days and they wanted to keep staffing to minimum for these archer tomalock shots and uh it's going to start with the dinner thing and everybody's real nice and swell and and real easy going the vibe these guys give off is a little more advanced very friendly like you said very different than what everyone's seen before they're mingling they're trying ice cream um trip is flirting with two ladies from the ship yeah. at the same time until Reed shows up and he decides to start flirting with them and then sends the guy to the married couple in the back. I liked, uh, yeah. so it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a nice episode. He, he comes in and just steals both of them. It goes from, uh, two blondes, one trip <laughs> to Reed coming and being like, yeah, uh, I seem to recall back from that flocks swingers episode that, you know, you don't work out too bad with the couple. So why don't you get over there and I'm going to lick cherries or whatever's going on with uh, Mrs. Ugg and her friend. So uh, that sets up the I guess the A plot of this episode, which is Trip getting to know the chief engineer, the convict, his wife and a third party uh, that is with them, uh, who is referred to just merely as a cognitor. Uh, or I'm it's sorry, as a co-janitor. Yeah. Oh, look at you correcting me on pronouncing something. You no, no, I will not accept <laughs> that from you. No, anyone else? Not you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the third person who's referred to as a co-janitor, uh, and as an it, and not by any particular name, which uh, throws trip a bit for a loop. 
conversation is a little awkward. He gets invited to come over and hang out in their engine room. Um, and then the scene ends with him having to go talk to Flux for a, an inoculation, which allows a little bit more backstory to happen. Omicron radiation. Uh, again, everybody is being super nice. He sits down with the chief engineer and his wife and the aforementioned co-genitor. And, uh, you know, we've seen this before where trips reel into engines on account that he's the chief engineer. And boy, would I like to see your engines. Yeah, sure. We would love to have you over. Um, our technology is different. Omicron radiation is an issue. You're going to want to get that inoculation, but we would love to have you. Again, super opening, right? Yeah. This is where we start getting into what's making this episode difficult for me, is this strays way out into left field for Trip here. Okay, let's, let's talk about Trip as a character. What do we know about Trip as a character? Uh, well, we know he is a very resourceful uh, senior-ish officer. He's uh, essentially third in command of the vessel. Um, Slated he, to be originally number two. Right. Was jump supposed to be to, XO. Let's jump back to the hand nipple episode, which was uh, was that trash episode from season one where he gets pregnant. <laughs> I know what one you're talking about. Okay. We all do. <laughs> Can't forget it. He didn't fuck that, that space elf hottie, right? Correct. And when he's accused of doing so by T'Pol, he gets real indignant and says that I am I, I was a, you know, a, a role model diplomat the entire time I was over there. This dude's a professional. He's mm -hmm. been through diplomacy school, and that's what they call it in this era Starfleet, right? He knows what's right and wrong. He's a big gearhead. He gets excited about tech. Any other time, all this dude wants to do is learn about technology. Jump back to a death stop, truck stop, right? He's so into technology that he's willing to go behind Archer's back to learn how the space station works uh, for essentially zero reason. He's already getting a sweet deal where his ship's getting a huge hole that a Romulan mind blew in the hull out. Okay, so this guy should be like engineering boner up to 80%, and then he's good in a fist fight. He's unlocked the power of space pipes. And I'm I, really... I, oh, and he, he doesn't run away from fights. We know that too, right? Correct. He, well, he he does have what we'll call the, the most earthy sense of, of, of morality. Um, and this has been reflected in some of his conversations with T'Pol. You know, he's, he's got a real sort of down-home sort of sensibility to him on purpose. He is portrayed as culturally Southern, uh, you know, Florida he's also memes. portrayed as uh, very open to new things in other people's way of doing them. Right. Go oh, yeah. back to uh, what was the space ghosts episode, right? Come on, cap. Like, let's, let's feel them out. Let's trust these guys. They look like they've got an interesting thing going. Let's go with it. Like the super duper social justice warrior role that he mantle that he is going to put on in this episode before we get into it, like what other evidence of this have we really seen? None. And that's what makes it so weird. It's like trip is not, he is not professionally correct. He's a commander. He's the only Starfleet commander on the ship. There's sub commander to, to Paul, who's for part of a different spacefaring organization. He is the second highest ranking earth Starfleet guy. He should be. He's, he is a man. All of these folks are supposed to be looking to for guidance. He's a big leadership. picture guy. In, in, and particularly in a, in a moment of crisis. 
Uh, so professionally, back- it makes no sense. Temperamentally, it makes no sense because he has been the most live and let live guy on the ship. He, you know, he has the most elemental sense of of right and wrong in terms of his his wisdom score. Right, it's supposed to be a bit higher because he's portrayed as culturally southern. And as you noted, he has had multiple contacts with with other species where he has fought the urge to do something he shouldn't do successfully. And he even had this very same plot occur in the very premiere of this fucking show where he thought like that kid was being tortured. And it turns out he just needed a special kind of gas to like wean off so he could breathe in other atmospheres and to Paul had to fucking call him out on it. Like on every level, it just shouldn't be him. What was his stance on, um, desert crossing in terms of getting involved with Clancy Brown. I don't think they ever really had the opportunity to contemplate it uh, in any kind of depth, because as soon as Clancy Brown made the offer, it was just him and Archer talking. And then the bombing run started. I don't recall that the plot really ever had anything to do with Tripp's opinion about that. I think Tripp's initial opinion was we need to get the fuck out of here. Right. I mean, he was always discomforted by being there to begin with. But it's not like he was like, there's wrong things going on here and we must get involved in this this fight. Was he done on the surface in uh, Rogue Planetoid? Uh, He was uh, initially. And then Reed was the one that decided to go hunting with them, I think. So Trip might have left in the middle of that. And he's like counseling Archer on like Archer's like, so you want to. You're not seeing a ditto out there, you know, like. He was yeah, very like, skeptical. Like you want to throw in with the Pokemon over like. Again, I've never seen this Kira Narice, this uh, Balana Torres like. I disagree with this thing and I'm going to go hard in the paint the way that I'm going to follow my heart. Right. Well, at least when K- Kira Narice does it, it's like she's just the fucking she's just angry. Right. She's just a very, very in your face personality. It's consistent when you see that happen. And it just it's. It's not part of Tripp's character. So Tripp gets inoculated on this Omicron radiation, and this is where we have his first toe dip into. Something seems off and it's going to completely sidetrack everything you know about me. And he asks Phlox, hey, um, what what is this co-genitor thing? And Phlox goes, well, it's not uncommon to encounter other species out there where there's more than two genders. And in this uh, in this species, it seems that the cogenitor is required for the male and the female to copulate. And I don't really know what science are trying to lay out there, like if the cogenitor is basically like a host for the child or if the cogenitor's presence like brings a female into fertility or whatever. It's just this. It's just this thing that Berman and Braga came up with to say, how can we insert what's essentially going to be a second class citizen in the society that they don't think twice about that is going to seem alien and unjust to a member of the crew to the point that they are going to do some real social faux pas here, right? Yeah, the plot even dismisses the importance because like Flax wants to tell Trip, and Trip's like, nah, I don't need to see it. It's like telling the audience, like, the details don't matter. It's just this is a thing, right? We've established the thing. Here's a real basic reason why. We've indicated there's more of, like, a lore here, but it doesn't matter to the story. I mean, they literally do that in front of you. In that moment where they're saying the science behind it isn't important, it is just the 
the framing that we are using to create a second class citizen. And that's correct. The hard part in this episode, uh, that's that's the elephant in the room, because the device, the vehicle that they've chosen to tell the story, which is a non-binary person, right, a, 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 a third option. Back in 2003, seemed pretty neutral, safe thing to use as springboard. It seemed they- like some real weird sci-fi shit you could do without it really touching on a real world thing. It it seemed like a safe yeah. springboard for them, right? Yeah, you're not Which, like you're not doing something that seems very clearly like race or culturally identifiable. So it's just where you can kind of do some exploration. Little did they know the 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 landmine that they just threw this episode on. They're not I don't think they're trying to tell a story about a a non-binary person so much as they are about a I think the way that he would frame would be an exploited class within the society that you could have just as easily, you know, this this could have been a an AI episode, right? They have Mm -hmm. a servant android that, you know, isn't being acknowledged. It this could have been um what were they called? The exocomps, right? Yeah. And this this is is just a a novel way to tell the same kind of story. Like we've established the politically abused you know, under under we've done the underclass story every way we can think of it. Here is a new way to conceive of it. They meet a species and it's trigender. And the third gender is this tiny minority that, you know, somehow involved percent of the total. Yeah. Involved in the reproductive process. So it's like it's a very necessary part of their of their reproductive element. And so it's it's like part of their evolution. Uh, but it's a way to be able to do the exploited underclass story one more time in a, in a way that, you know, the wise haven't explored. So during the dinner with the chief engineer on enterprise, and I want to say the lighting that they do is very interesting. It's like the cabin lights have been dimmed in all the rooms in the ship. And the majority of the light is coming from the crazy uh, solar flares outside the window. It's got a real generations lighting stage, right? Yeah. I would say so. A lot of using what would feel like exterior light, Real uh, cool. using using the plot to your advantage to light it differently. Um, so I so, really liked the alien tech feel of the ship. That it just was like, this is what technology looks like when it evolves very differently, you know, more yeah. artistically. Without was, being weird organics. It's just yeah. conceptually high arches and, and um, grandiose in scope. So all of the stuff about the cogenitor gets laid on the table during the dinner on Enterprise. Uh, this group makes up 3%. They don't have names. They don't have gender. Uh, they are simply an accessory to the rest of the society. And uh, to them, it's no big deal. And to Trip, it seems odd uh, to the point where he is going to throw everything else we know about this character, specifically like, oh, I get real excited about technology and this other stuff. Uh, completely in the trash. So when Trip goes over, uh, the chief engineer shown him, you know, this is how our engine works. Uh, techno babble. Uh, it's amazing. Trip kind of. He, he hasn't really seemed to be like, oh, wow, gosh, gee whiz, like to the degree he should be. Uh, this thing here has like 200 and some elements in it. 
Uh, and then Trip's like, well, that's impossible. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we saw in your database you only know about like 92 or 99 or something. Stupid, stupid ape man doesn't know about half the elements. <laughs> they're not like that, though. I mean, there's yeah. no mustache twirling. Like the dudes, yeah, they're like, real nice about it, but they're like, yeah, you haven't found out about these yet. These are hipster new elements. But you could. And I'd be happy to talk about all this shit that is light years beyond anything that you've had access to. And then Trip's like, yeah, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about the cogenitor. Let let's and can I just, talk about how you fuck? <laughs> That's what he keeps asking. Can I talk about your reproductive process more? I'm I'm very excited to learn more about how this happens. It's not even that. It's just that I I smell something unjust about you, and I'm going to disregard everything else in the pursuit of picking at this scab. Right, which up to this point. Seems kind of reasonable. Uh, nobody has told him explicitly not to do that. And he hasn't really crossed any lines right now. It's just idle curiosity. And I think like the rest of the uh, the viewer base, like, sure, that that's what they've posed as the most interesting thing about this race. And that's it. Meanwhile, uh, Archer and Commander Tomalak. I'm having a good time. They're going to go take a, uh, a, a love seat, a flying love seat on a deep water ex- like like a deep dive right they've got as good as the hull is on this uh this alien races spaceship they've got this little two seater that they can go even deeper so both captains decide that they're going to go on a little 3 day vacation way out of communications range and uh they're going to go have their little affair basically <laughs> To Paul even calls out like, so you're going to go three days in a piece of technology you don't understand the man you barely met. Do you think they have a bathroom that's going to work with your parts? Like, is so there a many, shower on there? So is there beds? Questions. Like, is there a version of sleeping that they wake up at midnight and they just start screaming different parts of the Quran and you don't know that yet? Like, you know, are they, they space vampires? <laughs> like there, are, there's so many, so many, uh, so many things we should probably discuss. John, before you decide to go have a sleepover, <laughs> but John, guess- who absolutely did not trust the space ghosts for one fucking minute, yet these guys just show up. They seem cool. They throw some technology your way and you're just flying off in the wild blue yonder with them in a ship that is literally the inspection pod they had in Broken Bow that uh, trip bangs into the bottom of the saucer like this thing is fucking tiny. You can't even stand up in this and you're going to be in that for three days. What's he doing? Is he just wearing an adult diaper? <laughs> how how does this work? This is ridiculous. It sets the, the stage for a, um, I guess, space for Tucker to find his way back over on the other ship, having dinner with the engineer and his wife so that he can do a clandestine brain scan. Now, mind you, he has already voiced his concerns that this seems weird. He brings yes. it up to flocks who tells him basically, who are you to judge how other races are? He brings it up to Paul, who says the captain is real sweet on these guys and he wants to be real good friends with him. So you should not be fucking anything up or screwing around and you better start walking the straight and narrow and knock off uh, what you're doing here. Right. Everyone warns him not to do what he is about to do. I mean, he goes to the two people he can. 
He goes to the chief medical officer who can explain this on an expert level. And he goes to the first officer who's in charge, who's the acting captain while the captain's away. And they both say, don't do this. Don't fuck around with this. There is no reason. There's no reason to from a sociological level. There's no reason to from a cultural level. And there's no reason to from a literal operation of our mission level. And, and, and I, I guess like the one consistent thing you can say is that Trip is not good at listening to what T'Pol tells him to do. That's like his, that's his number one favorite thing to do is like the opposite of what T'Pol says. I'll say that is pretty consistent. That is. Let's talk about a big inconsistency here though. Right. And again, I, I don't think the intention was to make this a a gender focused episode. The gender component was just the vehicle to try to tell the story of a servitude race that, um, you know, was need some freedom, need some America was being benevolent, benevolently oppressed. Right. Mm-hmm. And trip goes to Flox and says, you do scans on these visitors when they come over to the ship. Can you tell me if the cogenitor uh, is working at the same mental capacity as the male and the female? And Flox goes, well, no. Trip pushes it deeper and says, well, could I maybe like sneak a scan in on the DL and you you figure it out? And he's like, well, yeah. So they stage another dinner where Tri- and like it's not like this person sitting at the table, the cogenitor like looking at Trip like mouthing like, please help me. They're keeping me prisoner. They're gonna kill me if I to the bed. Oh my god! You know, right? none of like that. this is him just really pushing hard out into left field. Like how how can I fuck with this situation? He went looking for this fight the whole way. Um, and again, I think if you were to view this as just like an android sitting at the table, uh, a nexocomp, another race altogether, or or whatever else, they're all interchangeable. And the fact that they picked this uh, this non-binary uh, makes it real weird to watch in 2023. He sneaks the scans and he brings it back to Flox. Flox goes, well, you know. There, there's no difference here. Flox is is off his established axis as well, right? Flox, who back in Dear Doctor identified the uh, subservient race to the fucking Mister Rogers sweater people, right? As the being yeah, it's the, the the species that's going to overtake them. Who na- natural order was allowed to proceed, right? And it's it's you know his imperative as a doctor to pave a way to ascension for these people and this and that. So uh, quite a bit of hypocrisy here out of flocks being presented with a race that has been held in servitude to, I'm sorry, a, a group yeah. that has been held in servitude to a dominant group. And here he's turning a blind eye, whereas, you know, he's willing to fucking partake in genocide, uh, barely a season previous. I guess, I don't think he participates though, right? Like all he does is he actually tells Trip, "I'm not getting. I'm not. That's what I'm saying. Anything. That's what I'm bring. saying. So like back in Dear Doctor, he's like, I'm pro the you know Neanderthals or whatever those well, guys. No, were. but he was pro not doing anything. <laughs> I mean, in the end, what he his argument was, don't involve yourself. It was that was. The, a horrifying oh. instance of not involving yourself because you were going to allow all this death to occur, but he was advocating not doing anything. And here he's saying also don't do anything. So I think this is consistent. 
I in in the first one, don't do anything, even though we could do something and we should do something and you want to do something uh, versus here. Just leave it alone. Fuck those guys. That, that's that's what it is. The first one, it's it's fuck the people who are currently uh, the ruling class. And this one, it's fuck the baby maker or or whatever code generating does. Anyways, he's all like, dude, just chill out. And uh, the episode becomes increasingly uncomfortable because this engineer is like meeting with him, giving him insight into technology. Should be a real easy bro to like get along with. Totally not lying and string him along just until like his mercenary friends can show up and spring him out of space pokey and all the other stuff from that space Texan episode back in Voyager. Mm-hmm. Like they've taken the most mean people from the past Star Trek properties and they've just put them into real sweetheart roles here, right? Real nice. Yeah. Uh, and Trip's like, cool. Well, you're aligning these warp coils or whatever the fuck it is. Like, hmm, I'm a little hungry. Uh, I want to go check out some more food over in your mess hall. That's an interesting part of this race, too, is that like smell is such a big part of their. I the don't food know. is very pungent and they really like smelling things and tasting it isn't as important. Neat background filler. There's a lot of thought that goes into these guys that you do not get in the majority of other races we come across. But yeah, he he, he puts that excuse out there so that he can go to the quarters and start providing some freedom. Before we go deeper on that, though, we need to we have to head down Lieutenant Reed Avenue. Because I laughed out loud. Because what we wind up with in this episode is it is a scene. Of subplot so. Ham handedly corny, I felt like Barry White music should have been playing in the background as I start to describe the scene. But what we have is Reed talking to the the blonde lady that he made friends with over ice cream. Mrs. Hansen. With a Mrs. Ugg. With with a big old plate of cheese. And starts trying to flirt with her via cheese, including, you know, them putting little pieces of cheese in their mouths. You get her wiping away a little 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 lip action at one point. Until she breathily stares into the camera and says, Oh, Lieutenant Reed, let's go down to the armory. I uh, I want to see your phaser array. This is a literally, this is a thing that happened. Not making it up. That is the line in the episode. To which he replies, well, we have a saying on Earth. I'll show you yours if you show me. Whatever. Uh, so off they go. He's shown off uh, the weapons and, you know, she's like, your torpedoes fucking suck. And he's like, yeah, that's what everybody we've been in a fight with have said. In fact, one guy hit us with their own torpedo because their torpedoes suck so much. But check out these phase pistols. And she goes, well, that's quaint. But we do it the same way. And it's like, yeah, you want to see our actual phaser? And they crawl in the back. Uh, all of this is showing us that she just towers over Reed. He's a mm-hmm. little boy next to her and they he get in. He blatantly takes the opportunity to stare at her ass. Mm-hmm. They get all the way in the back. He's shown her. Sorry, it's such cramped quarters. And she goes, uh, well, 
you know, nothing to apologize for. Um, I've been hoping to get some intimate time together. Uh, and I'd like to sleep with you tonight. And, uh, you know, he puts his finger up to his mouth like Dr. Evil and they zoom in and, you know, fade to black. Basically, I'll tell you why I like this joke. I'll tell you why you like this scene, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to list out what, what the what the temp poles are here, right? OK. Uh, a, a Weasley little scavenger. OK. A tall, beautiful warrior. Mm hmm. Flirting. Strong sex and cheese. What do those all have in common? I'm afraid I am not putting it together. What do they all have in common? Neelix and that Klingon warrior babe that he banged in two box quarters. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. That's what it reminded me of. A worse version of that. Mm hmm. Clearly inferior, but just the blatancy of that scene was funny. Man, if you had done that scene with with Neelix and the Klingon warrior instead, some like other version. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was the cheese that I brought the ship to its knees with. Yes, I'm a true Klingon warrior. I nearly destroyed this vessel with cheese. Uh, So, yeah, there's that plot out there meanwhile over on the the <laughs> love literally boat. you know you hear nothing more after apparently they banged and had the only was scene to be left there would be like him complaining because he's a fucking sissy crybaby about like oh she was too rough in my shoulder and pip pip cheerio Ooh. did you see by the way that what uh was claire put up on the trauma support group that the the only enterprise at, at fmk uh, is uh, uh, fuck uh, Travis, Mary Trip, kill Archer. I'd kill Reed. <laughs> it's like it's, I was gonna say, it's like it's either kill Archer or kill Reed, and the other, the, the last one, it gets the gets to gets to live. You know, like that's the who gets to live. I would. I mean, obviously, I'd fuck to Paul. Amongst the guys, amongst the guys. We, it's not fair. It's our not answers fair. would be different. I'm rating Claire's answer from the from the perspective of if I were a lady. I, I think she's got it dialed in. Ten out of ten, no notes. God, who would you marry on there? Flocks? I, I don't. Know, maybe I'd marry. I don't know. He's has he's got a lot of practice, but he's lo- he's full up. Yeah, but he's you know? like also real like permissive. And just because you're married to Flocks doesn't mean you have to spend your life with Flocks. And I think that's the real saving grace is that I wouldn't want to spend my life with any of these fucking people. I've still to this point, not even like fully connected with anyone in this crew in any meaningful way whatsoever. Also, where the fuck was Hoshi in this episode? Is she in it at all? I think she talks and in, over the intercom and, and does a, has a couple lines when they're like establishing communications. Let me say something right now, um, because I forgot she even fucking existed in this episode. Pull trip out, drop Hoshi and everything that happens here, and I buy it. Bingo. You're absolutely correct. 120%. She's me- a teacher. You know, she cares about. She yes. Cares about- yeah. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? Dude? She's an like- ensign. She's a junior officer. She's someone you can see making this mistake. She's someone like- who would be great at odds with uh, to Paul's advice. Mm-hmm. She's someone who is about due to like learn like, hey, you follow the fucking rules for a reason. Mm hmm. 
like let's go ahead and chalk this up to uh Berman being a fucking shit and and not wanting to give um you know some star time to female cast members but as awful as this episode is with trip in there you put in hoshi who has not had a good hoshi episode i think ever and and you're cooking with butter you're absolutely but we don't right. get hoshi. And, and and linda park is perfectly capable as an actress you know it's just that they don't know what the fuck to do with her right like this is just, what you do with her right this here. is it this is what you do with her you're dead on man like this this plot actually completely works if you make hoshi and there's no reason why it can't be violating what the fucking captain wants like has she really crossed archer hard yeah i don't think she's ever crossed archer but she's also the person that we've established seems to have the feel like she's got the most license to cross her like she's the person who would maybe just a little too avant-garde with the rules because she's like got archer clocked so she thinks that she can just get away with this. And this is when she finally kind of learns like, no, there are rules. They're there for a reason. You don't have to necessarily understand it. And by the way, I am your commanding officer. So you just fucked up and I'm going to make sure you know you fucked up. Like she's never had any of that happen. And this could have been an excellent time for that to occur. And it would have played into her educator background. She's also not really career. She's here just yeah. for... um she doesn't care if she's imperiling her space career, so it doesn't matter to her. She's breaking the rules, really. And because what a she's mess. a woman, she would be she would be easier to to believe that her like inquisitiveness on a cultural level, because she's the communications officer, was more native rather than seemingly like this weird thing while she's learning all like all this also, hyper tech. Yeah, yeah, like for for Trip to perform in this role, he needs to stop being the chief engineer of the fastest vessel in Starfleet, who is literally standing in front of like an open cheat sheet of how to make my ship better. Yeah. Like, yeah. You have to completely ignore my core character principles so I can chase this fucking white rabbit down a, um, a, a tale of tragedy uh, where we've already established that Hoshi is very much a bleeding heart and feels for the little guy. You go back to Sluggo and how she felt about that. Ridiculous. Archer's flying around with Commander Tomalock. They're going deeper and deeper. They're growing up more and more. Uh, Archer's a great pilot who can just touch anything and he knows how to fly it because he's the best ever. You know, whether it's prison transports or deep space, fucking high pressure love boats. They're he's doing great. It. He's the guy. They roll out an interesting thing, other thing with Commander Tomalock and like, you know, the this race has uh, eidetic memories. They're great readers. We get some shades of the Skeevians where like, hey, thanks for all this crazy good technology. You know, you're really hooking us up. No problem, bro. I love Shakespeare and all that other shit you guys gave us. This is real exciting. I'm going to quote some Shakespeare to you and everybody's going to be really hyped about this at all. Your tech sucks, but man, you guys got some great writers. We're going to get along great. I, I, I really liked actually how they had them bro down. That like Archer's finally getting everything he wanted in the first contact. He was like hungry to connect with just some other species out there in, a, in exactly this way. And he's fucking loving it. Like mm -hmm. he couldn't pack up to go into this love boat fucking fast enough. <laughs> like finally I get to live my dream. While this is going on, we get more of the illicit education between Trip and uh, the cogenitor. He lies about going to go to get food. Yeah. Goes to this guy's house, goes in this dude's house, finds a cogenitor and goes, hey, I'm here to teach you how to read. 
What? Out of nowhere. Like you said, there at no time has this cogenitor been on screen and asked for help. At all. Had he just gone in there and said, I think what they're doing to you is wrong, and I want to try and see if you're a real person, and I'm going to kidnap you and bring you back to the ship for political asylum, and we're going to pursue things that way. That would make more sense than, I'm going to hang out with you in the other chief engineer's house and teach you how to read and art and and empower you and do all this stuff. Like I can't see that this is going to have some crazy implications. Uh, we're just going to hang out like I'm basically having an affair and the dude's at work um, and it's going to be cool. They get one session of that in. He's talking to other pe- trips, talking to other people back on Enterprise. They start getting deeper into like these. These uh, differently focused 2023 years that we're in where like. It's not a male, it's not a female, but. He's using the pronouns, everything for all intents and purposes. He's identifying the cogenitor as a she. Correct. So you're getting weird, like white knight. I need to save her. I know she's, and it's just like, again, things that they could have never expected that the, the episode to be viewed this way. Well, they're being viewed this way. You know, you're, you're making a big deal that it's a non-binary person. You're using incorrect pronouns and all this other stuff that just, no way they could have accounted for it. And in the process, making Trip look like a big fucking asshole. I, I'm saying he looks like an asshole across the board. Nothing he yeah. is doing right at all. None of it sticks. And what's worse, none of it tracks. It's all coming out of left field. So yeah, it's, I, I, it's a yeah, yeah. real uncomfortable episode to watch. And again, if this was Hoshi and I didn't, you know, think this until just now we had this conversation. This would all flow. It makes sense. I'd see where they're going. Using Trip for this, fucking awful. And then, you know, everything Trip's been pulled in before prior to this has all been like weird romance subplots, which doesn't happen here. But it's just like, this is way off base with this character. Um, the co-genitor turns out is very smart, soaks up all this knowledge, is able to learn how to read like within two hours. He brings it back over. We get to look at uh, the movie database. There's some cool Easter eggs in there. You know, you want to yeah, watch Bride a Dick Chaotica. Tale movie? Yeah. You watch like... Bride of Chaotica? Mm-hmm. You know, and... it came from behind the refrigerator. Oh, how about we watch uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still? Oh, yeah, that's cool. We can we can apply what's happening here loosely to your situation you're in. Let's do that. They go through this bonding period. Trip gets the, uh, uh, the cognitor who's now calling himself Charles back to the vessel. And then we just hard cut to the bridge where Paul's like, yeah, you got found the fuck out and you're no longer welcome over on their vessel. Now we've got problems and they are all your fucking fault. What the fuck is wrong with you? And I, I liked to Paul's energy, you know, if like trying to understand well, why you're this dumb trip. Is this like, is this just something that happens to people from Pensacola? They're just they drank too much of the river water and now I've got a few screws loose. Like, what is with you, bro? (laughs) What is this? We're lucky that these guys don't like turn on a dime and just fucking blast us. I mean, who we've known these people for exactly two days and we're out here in the middle of nowhere. They could just tractor beam us into the sun. Like, They're being real cool right now, despite the fact that you're all up in their shit. I don't so, know what part of their captain is Commander Tomalock. You don't get here. <laughs> and their chief engineer is uh, 
a space serial killer, but like this could be a big rickroll and and you could just be opening the door. This this is bad news. So uh, Archer Archer gets back. Yeah, yeah. Archer gets back at this point. He gets briefed. He's happy, too. He's like, oh, man, this was so great. I did such good diplomacy. I didn't bring my dog. He didn't pee on anything. (laughs) Boy, is Admiral Forrest going to be happy with me. Those goddamn smug Vulcans, they're not going to have anything to dangle over my head. These guys are way smarter than the Vulcans. I'm going to be a hero. Beep, beep. (laughs) Oh, hey, it's my ship. I'm sure they're only going to tell me good news. Moshi Moshi. (laughs) What's going on? And then that's when that's when Paul's like, you need to come home uh, right now. (laughs) You're one of your children. You fucked up (laughs) real bad because it's gotten worse because the cogenitor has come back over to Enterprise and has asked for asylum, essentially, uh, because, you know, they're they're very upset over what's happened with uh, their I don't know, with something akin to property, the way that they treat it, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, decided it's a person now <laughs> that's not okay by them. I would criticize the security on the ship given what just happened and accuse them of having a chief security officer that is basically Tuvok that doesn't know what a door lock is. <laughs> but I will say that in all reality, their chief of security is probably busy having sex with Enterprise's chief of security. So. Uh, I get it. <laughs> Not a very tight this, ship right now on either side. Th- this this time and this time only, we know why security is lax. Mm-hmm. For good <laughs> reason. It's all tied up, literally. So Archer comes back to a big mess and he is not happy. Uh, for all the times we've watched Janeway dress someone down, I think this is really the first time we've seen Archer drop the hammer. And I think it's a pretty effective. uh, What the fuck did you do? Right. Each of the end is particularly good. Yeah. Well, that's its own thing. Um, So now Archer has a situation on his hands where. uh, Trips made a big mess. There's political asylum being invoked. There's Starfleet protocols and precedents that are twisting his arm behind his back to further alienate himself from his new. Uh, friends with Commander Tomalock, and he can't just play this thing out the way that he wants to. So they go in, they have a meeting, and uh, there's going to be a nice little sit down where it's Trip, it's Archer, it's Commander Tomalock, and it's the chief engineer of the other vessel and his wife. And uh, they're going back and forth. And the line gets dropped that I really liked where the chief engineer is like, you know, basically says, well, you know, what? how would you feel if uh, I took one of these slave stewards that you have that you forced to serve you food and he came to me asking for assistance and we said yes. And then Archer's like, well, no fucking way, man. Like those stewards, they're they're not slaves like you got it all wrong. And the chief engineer's like, well, I'm sorry, I apologize. It's easy to misunderstand uh, when you don't fully understand. Yeah, a, a culture there. You know, you've Perfect. known us for fucking two days. I don't think you really fit at this point to say what is and is not appropriate here. And I thought that was a pretty poignant statement that they make. No, I mean, the the aliens are not portrayed as the bad guys necessarily in how they are treating this person, creature, thing, element of their species. Uh, because 
they purposefully have provided very limited information about how they work. We just merely know they are cognitively capable, but treated in an other fashion. And that has it, it irritated Trip enough that he's decided to interfere with it. The, the aliens never come off as raw, incorrect in their decision. It just merely re- makes it unresolved of like, you just don't know what's really happening. And this is where that's made very clear. I thought that they phrase it. I mean, it's easy enough to look at this and say, morally by our standards, we can say, all right, this person is being held at a disadvantage, right? Whether it's a third gender, uh, whether it's a uh, an android or this or that, it's someone who should be capable of wildly more and they're being held at a disadvantage state. And that bothers me, right? Mm-hmm. But there's space politics. We're trying to build a federation. We're trying to make friends. These guys aren't killing us. Maybe there's a bigger discussion to be had here, and it's certainly not a chief engineer's uh, position on day three of knowing this new race to uh, make wide sweeping policies. Uh, by the end, Archer decides that uh, Cogenitor's got to go back, shows up with DePaul, says, hey, you're going home. And uh, I understand this is difficult for everybody involved, but thumbs the brakes. Still very awkward to watch. Right. Off they go. Commander Tomlock still pretty cool. Hey, you know, uh, this was weird here at the end, but we've made more progress, you and I, in two days than some people make in decades. And I really hope that we can hammer things out and uh, that there's going to be good future for our people together. We split ways. Nobody's happy. I figure that's kind of where the episode's gone. I'm not watching the jog wheel. Lo and behold, <laughs> it's like, didn't notice there's another seven minutes. There's a secret writing uh, credits here for M. Light Shyamalan. We got a twist coming up. And uh, Trip gets called back to Archer's quarters for round two of getting his ass chewed out. So this time he's getting his ass chewed out because Archer has received a message from the captain. Uh, from Commander Tomalock, who we don't see again and don't hear from again, merely that Hoshi notes that he is very upset. And when that message is delivered, Trip comes back, ready to get yelled at, as you mentioned. And Archer says, Cognator is dead. And it's dead because uh, it committed suicide. Uh, and as a consequence of your cultural contamination. You have you, shown them a uh, a more rewarding and beautiful life than they are going to be able to realize back in their uh, society, and uh, they are unable to return to that and have chosen death as a viable alternative to living in a uh, withheld state. So that is a level of shitty real world, I guess. I, I don't. I don't know. Like you don't get. This was definitely not the ending that you would expect. Like, this is hard, right? Like, this is like taken. We dive directly into Battlestar Galactica for a moment. (laughs) Yes. All right. Like, this is this is much more realism than we're used to with Trek. And the speech they give Archer 
is well done in the scene. It just, we've established how weak Archer has been established. So it was a bit odd for him to be this authoritative and this clear and focused in where, what he's, his characterization to be able to deliver this information. I welcome it. It's a good change, but it is a hard shift. And he says something in his rant that was the way they framed it, the way the shot pushed in on trip when he did it, where he says, <clears throat> uh, we're in deep space and a person is dead. A person who'd still be alive if we hadn't made first contact. You know, like the way that part of it gets delivered and it pushes in on trip and trips like it's all about trips, like re- recognition of like, oh, someone's dead and it's my fault. He takes it a step further, too, and says, you know, this family that was trying to conceive a kid. Now they cannot do it because you have because uh, the cogenitor is dead. And they mentioned earlier, too, like it's hard to get these cogenitors like you have to go on a waiting list. There's there's some there's some real bottlenecks to having kids and growing this population. So uh, a real butterfly in, in Central Park uh, moment here. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a infrequent that trek goes this real bitter like i off the top of my head i don't think i can tell you a episode of star trek story as bitter as this since the um strange new worlds episode where pike uh has to watch that little boy go plug himself into the computer chair and die to keep his city tech or his you know, world technologically advanced. And at least in, in that case, the episode works towards that conclusion in a way that feels much more like natural. It's a bitter ending. And I, I liked that episode when we reviewed strange new worlds because it was, it was set up as, Oh, Pike let his guard down. Cause he was thinking about himself and saving himself and finding a way out of his fate. And the consequences of that was his failure to try and prevent this human tragedy from occurring. Um, which, I thought was effectively portrayed within the show here. It's just hard, hard stop at the end. Hey, trip, all your good intentions. Not only did you just naturally fuck up all the stuff we've already established about, you know, establishing peaceful relations with our new, you know, species we found. Also, you got someone fucking killed. Like, whoa, whoa. Okay. I mean, sure, but damn. Trip takes it hard. Uh, you know, part of me was almost expecting this rebellious streak where he's like, you know, I hope you handle things different next time. I was kind of expecting Trip to be like, well, next time, maybe I just need to, you know, lay my com badge on the, the, the counter and rescue this person, really go off wild. Instead, Trip's pretty uh, submissive in the entire uh, dressing down. He's obviously hit that this person he tried to liberate and save is now dead. He takes the whole thing pretty serious. It's a real sour note throughout it all. Also, uh, trip plays the card of, you know, I learned it from you, dad, which Archer it's, then goes yeah, in, comes back over the top, like off the top turnbuckle with the flying elbow. I mean, it is not yeah, a good line, but you know, Oh, you know, if I, if this is the role model I've been setting for the crew, then boy, have I been off and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, sure. Maybe if you've had good writing for the past 40 episodes, but you haven't. And there's been plenty of times that you've picked a ludicrous moral ground to stand on that is completely contrary to common sense and everything else. Yeah, you've been a terrible moral example for your crew, I would say. And and Trip is absolutely justified in throwing your face in that. 
I wish that would have went with the direction they would have gone in. Like, unfortunately, they're going to cover for their own bad writing, right? Like, they're not going to acknowledge Archer's uneven characterization was on purpose. It was an accident of their incompetence. So they're acting like Archer has always been a consistent, good leader who's kept his nose clean and how he's you know, approached alien races and, and moral quandaries. You're I correct. Like- he is not. And it is a very uh, weird to, to watch Archer do this. Like the idealized version of Archer, I can see what they intend mm-hmm. that he would be the kind of character that can lay down all the stuff he lays down here, but he's just not that guy in reality. Uh, again, another great place to put Hoshi in to yeah. call him out and say, you know, who are you to tell me how to follow my heart? You're, you're a military commander. Uh, you've made mistakes in the past. Um, you're not God. And, and, you know, that would be an interesting way to start approaching like the, the necessity of surrendering your own personal accountability to the chain of command. I don't know. There's interesting directions they could have gone in it. The whole thing, like I said, I, I, it was an interesting twist at the end with the suicide, which kind of salvaged the episode there a little bit. I, I thought it added uh, a little real politic in there. I, I, I think that we figured out the answer to this 20 minutes ago. This episode works perfectly if Hoshi is the main character. You almost have to change nothing except for that, for a lot of the stuff that doesn't make sense to come together and really just hum. You could do this whole story exactly the way you did it. And Hoshi is the one that's like making unscheduled visits, teaching someone how to read. Oh, yeah. Then suddenly we're there. And then you got a disappointed archer who's like, I know I dragged you along on this. You know, I know that you're here to help me out, but this was bullshit, you know, and you you really fuck something up and you need to be told that like this isn't like Ernest Hoshi makes a mistake. This is Hoshi feeling fucking full of herself doing some shit she shouldn't have done. Self-righteous Hoshi. Yeah. Eh, You know, in this uh, episode, I think I saw more than a few sources call like, you know, top 10 Trek episodes to must watch. Like uh, not it. No false. No. Incorrect. Yeah. There are pieces that could really work well, but the assembly much more assembly is required. All right, Joe, we're going to be moving into season two, episode 23 regeneration. A scientific team in the Arctic discovers a crash derelict ship and two cybernetic alien bodies from over a hundred years earlier. When the aliens revive themselves, they kidnap the scientists, hijack their vessel, and move out into space where Enterprise must confront them. I would say that sounds real interesting, but I see here in the memory alpha, the fucking picture is the Borg. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) he's figured it out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, uh, you know, unfortunate that you have already been spoiled of who the cybernetic aliens are. Uh, but here we go. This is the the Enterprise Borg episode. Surprisingly fits into continuity in a perfect to. spot. That's what happens per- when you go back in time. Perfect spot, right? Like they figured out a way to pull this episode off. And they do. And it's actually pretty damn good. So I look forward to watching it with you. All right, everybody. See you soon.